Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out the last episode. If you're one of those people, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda or kombucha or coffee in the fridge. Cheers, my friend. You got a drink over there? A water. Good enough. I am mad though because I just realized that I have some kombucha in the fridge that I do want. That sounds really good right now. It sounds inviting. <laughs> well, it's a little something to look forward to, right? Yeah. Lately, I've been I've been sipping on my. I have to give a shout out because it's literally the best coffee that I've been drinking is that Code Orange Black Forge blend. Yeah. My God, it's so good. Yeah. Drinking that pretty much every morning. So shout outs to shout outs to all of them. Shout outs to Black Forge. Shout outs to Code Orange. Shout outs to the the whole squad. Pittsburgh strong. Yeah, man. Much appreciated. So let's just get into it. I'm sitting here today with my buddy, Adam Valen. Make some noise for the internet. I've known Adam for several years at this point, from playing in bands to working in the local music scene, promoting, helping put together events. You're a busy boy. You do a lot of stuff. Thanks, man. Yeah, try try to stay busy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially in the time that we're in right now, I can't even imagine what it's been like for you and your coworkers and everything and how you're trying to keep things flowing, which is part of the reason why we're talking today. I've been wanting to sit down with Adam and get you on the show for a while. We've talked about it, but now unfortunately seemed like a really good time to do it, even though uh, the situation is not optimal. I think they're is some insight that you may be able to offer some people that are curious about what's going on since you are still behind the curtain probably on a daily basis, whereas a lot of people were kind of super disconnected and not knowing what's going on in terms of the future of live music or just the entertainment industry in general. So what is going on, Adam? Uh, man, that's a, <laughs> that's a, load. a heavy loaded question. Uh, and I don't think there. I mean, as much as I wish there was a real answer for it, um, I mean, it's still just like an evolve is with, you know, it's on of other industries. It's just such an evolving process that, uh, you know, it's at this point, it's a it's a global health crisis and uh, just something that we continue to stay involved and stay in tune with every single day. You know, everything uh, it changes daily. So, um, you know, we're just trying to do our due diligence and just finding an optimal time for when it's safe for people to come back, essentially. I mean, part of, uh, you know, yeah, part of it is just, you know, trying to figure out whenever we get whatever the new, we don't even know what the new normal is for shows at this point yet. And, you know, that's a discussion that we try to have. But in the meantime, you know, just trying to focus on, uh, you know, our programming for the next, for, you know, Q3 and Q4 and trying to, you know, push shows back. It's, you know, it kind of all, it, you know, it, it's so hard to imagine that, you know, March 10th hit in the span of like three days, we kind of went from having a a month in April, which was like our busiest month of the year for, uh, for some reason, we were having like upwards of 60 to 70 shows. Those all just all, you know, got put by the wayside and had to start rescheduling everything. And when we started realizing how, you know, critical of a, of an impact this would have on the industry as a whole, I mean, the live music industry, you know, essentially was one of the first businesses to get shut down from all this. So we've just been, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how we can, how we can play our part and, you know, do our due diligence and making sure that we can bring back a safe environment for customers whenever this comes back. So, yeah. And for anybody that doesn't know, Adam, you work for Drusky Entertainment, Mm -hmm. which marketing manager for Mark for Drusky Entertainment. What was that? The monkey manager? Would you say? (laughs) Uh, the, so I mean, like we we're a relatively small company, so I wear a ton of hats in the in the within the Drusky Entertainment sphere. But uh, the primary role is marketing manager. Super, 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 super cool and stressful. I imagine. <laughs> Anytime I get emails from you that are just kind of like the the general, like, "Hey, we need local bands for these shows," and I open it up and there's like two dozen fucking slots. I'm like, "Oh my god, they're probably pulling their goddamn hair." <laughs> Over there. <laughs> it's i mean it's fun man i mean we we want to give people opportunities to play shows and we're i mean we're you know our i don't want to say philosophy but you know we try to program as much as we can if there's a day in the week where we can put a show we want to have it i mean we try to 
curate live entertainment in Pittsburgh as with, you know, a ton of other great promoters in the town. So, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot to get into in terms of, you know, the role that Drusky Entertainment plays along with other promoters in terms of the local music scene. I'm mm-hmm. sure you wouldn't be surprised to hear that, you know, whenever then it's names such as Drusky or Opus One get brought up in some local circles. There are people that are kind of like, fuck them, pay to play, blah, blah, blah. And it's it's kind of a headache. And I'm always trying to shut down uh, those those views because I get where they're coming from. But it usually tends to be kind of like an inexperience or just a jaded sort of thing. As somebody mm. in your position that, you know, came from playing in bands to working in this world, you know, how did you feel about the promotion business prior to getting into doing it? And how do you feel now about it? Yeah, man. I mean, uh, I was just going to bring that up. You nailed it on the head. I mean, uh, I interned for a while, like my early college years. And, you know, during that time is when I really started to become a part of the local music scene. You know, the band I played in Nevada Color, we had been playing shows, uh, you know, all over the city and, uh, coming from that background first kind of gave me an appreciation of, you know, the, the nitty gritty and like the hustle that uh, bands show whenever, you know, they're trying to get their name out there um, and, you know, really bringing that over to the promoter, you know, promoter world. I really wanted to try and build that adv- advocacy for upcoming bands to fruition and help give bands a stage to play on, you know, no matter how big, how small, uh, try and help get them in front of an audience. I, you know, the pay to, whenever I heard about like pay to play, uh, methodology and, you know, none of that really sat well with me at all. I don't think artists should have to, you know, financially suffer, uh, just to get on a stage. I don't think that's kind of, you know, a little ludicrous, but, um, you know, really wanted to try, try and help build, uh, you know, a stage and a voice for artists so that they can, you know, have their bands on, on a stage and, uh, you know, playing in front of uh, for national headliners, uh, whether those are developing acts, if we can get them on stage with, um, you know, B and C list artists, you know, I'd love to try and build opportunities for artists, especially ones that are, you know, showing that they're hardworking enough to want to, you know, push their name out there. Yeah, I think that the the key in that is hardworking. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, it's very common when talking with people in bands who are very much like, oh, I don't want to fucking have to sell tickets to play a show. It's like, okay, but do you ever push any shows that you play at all? It tends to be that those people are people that don't push. You don't see them ever out there grinding on anything, even if it's a show where they don't have tickets. You don't see them posting about it or talking about it. And then they complain that nobody comes to the shows. Yeah, I mean, there. Um, it's and it's hard from a promoter aspect too. I mean, like we, you got to consider like we we operate as a business, um, and it's hard on a on a trust basis. If we've you know, if a band comes to us and says they don't want to do it, and we've never heard of them before, you know, how are we supposed to build that kind of relationship off of you know just simple uh, like I like somebody said that I can do this or you know it's we we you know, the hard, the hard work goes a long way. I mean, coming from the Nevada color end, I mean, yeah, we started out pushing 50 tickets a show. It, it sucked having to nag our friends over and over again, but you know, the more we did it, the more strategic we were about the shows that we played. Um, our fan base started growing and, you know, it started becoming more easy to, uh, a start, keep pushing the tickets because, you know, we're still giving fans an affordable way to go to the show so they can avoid service fees and whatnot. Um, and also, um, you know, fans just started organically starting to come to us for, uh, you know, Hey, like we want to buy tickets from you guys. Sure. And I think that just came from, uh, you know, I think part of a hard work ethic was part of it on top of, you know, we were very adamant about trying to build a big live show and making sure that we were building an experience for fans to want to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, there's multiple, there's multiple facets to, uh, the, the business of, a of an entertainer, in a in a, in a band, but. Um, I think hard work ethic is, is definitely shines through, especially seeing it from the other side. Um, you know, it's, it's, I love putting bands. I mean, I love working with bands that are willing to put in the, the effort for it. I mean, it, yeah. it go, it shows, uh, 
it shows in their live show and it shows uh, in their work ethic. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty reflective. That's what I always try to explain to people that are being stubborn about the ticket thing. It's like, okay, I get it. If you're a band and you've been playing for over a decade and you're still not anywhere and you still have to play these types of shows to get opportunities. Sure. You could be burned out on it. You don't have to play them. There's plenty of other opportunities, but I think it's an excellent opportunity for a a new band, a band that's developing to learn Mm -hmm. that work ethic, to learn, you know, put some responsibility on their shoulders and have to get out there and actually push their shows, push what they're doing to other people, to strangers. And it, it like, the the skills that you learn from having to hustle tickets really goes a yeah. long way because then once you have an album out it's like okay well now i have a whole group of people that i can talk to that have gotten tickets for me and things like you build a network and i was gonna say man i mean like i went to school for uh for sports arts and entertainment management and uh, at point park university had a ton of good classes but honestly like the biggest takeaway with a business degree is you know the how invaluable building that network and networking is because that's what's going to help um you know help get you on the road that's what's going to help build connections in other markets even within your own market um you know i can't tell you how many times like we've tried to hop on uh shows where even if it was just you know we want to try and build connections with the bands that we're playing with because who knows like either one day they can return the favor down the road uh whether that's playing in there if we're trying to go through their city, play in their market, or even just going on the road with them. I mean, we were very adamant about trying to just network with other bands and, you know, trying to build this network and, uh, and friendship with other bands. I mean, I think that's so important and again, Mm -hmm. just super invaluable. The other thing that I want to bring up regarding the promoter shade that a lot of, a lot of your type get is you'll have the argument that it's the promoter's job to fucking promote the show. We're the band. I don't know if you want to comment on that. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I mean, in a sense, yeah. I mean, we, and I think part, some of the, part of the initiative that I've been trying to take, I mean, in a sense, yeah, like it is our job to promote the show. That's, I mean, that's self-exclamatory. Um, and we want to be able to help push, you know, all the artists that are in the show involved as much as we possibly can. Um, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, we want to try and get butts and seats and help fill rooms because a, um, you know, that, that is great for the venue, great for the artists, great for everybody. And B, you know, that helps keep fans coming back. Um, and it helps mm-hmm. build that experience. Um, but, uh, but I mean, yeah, I, I think that it goes both ways in that sense too. building that artist to promoter relationship, I think is very important. Um, because again, like, uh, I don't like to consider us as gatekeepers at all. Um, we want to be more, we want to be considered more like allies, but, um, you know, just helping open the door. uh, Well, I'd say that, but, um, but, you know, just trying to help build opportunities for other artists down the road. I think it goes both ways, having a good relationship there. Yeah. Um, The unfortunate reality is that you can't help everyone. There's only there's, there's just too many. I mean, yeah, if if I could, if I could, trust me, I would. But when you're a company that does 500 shows a year, uh, it's a little it's a little tough sometimes. Yeah. So I try to try to be try to do my due diligence and you know and the, try and communicate with as many people as possible. The other thing too is that you know nobody has like yo you think that your you know 50 tickets that you need to sell is a financial burden. Think about the burden that the promoter has for every single show going on that one day or that week or that that year like there's so much financial weight that people like you and the companies that you work for take on so it's like mm-hmm. you know of course they want to help promote the shows they're not just like ah fuck it whatever you know give us your ticket money and you know who cares what happens to this show no way there's yeah. so I mean, much responsibility on your shoulders it's just such a a narrow-minded kind of just like adolescent way to look at it like even if you're a band of like 30 somethings if you don't understand that then like you're so disconnected from how business works and i mean there's the possibility i mean if we're doing you know we do a lot of club shows and if we do a ton during the week and you know not like you know we have a couple locals on the show that bring 10 15 people i mean we're we're excited the fact that they're bringing people but chances are you know we might be losing money on that show even though you know everybody else is still artists are still getting their guarantees. The house is getting paid. I mean, not every show is going to win. So, 
Um, I mean, we like there are times where we lose on shows, and I mean that's just part of the business. We mm-hmm. still want to try and use that as an opportunity to help develop acts and try and give artists a stage. But I mean that happens. That's just part of the business. I yeah. Think. So in the current pandemic, have you found any peace? Was there any maybe like kind of even the slightest sigh of relief? Like, oh, I don't have to deal with this bullshit for at uh, least a few weeks. <laughs> I think not i wish i I wish there was i mean it's it's just such a like we're we're all in uncharted water so that level of uncertainty is just so you know yeah it's so unmeasurable and you know uh there's no way to quantify it qualify it however you put it like it's just so that level of uncertainty because we're all essentially just playing the waiting game at this point um you know now we're while we're still you know, reworking all of our like shows that we have on the books now and trying to reschedule that there's now the, um, you know, the talks of reopening and, uh, you know, now that we have a kind of a guideline of when we can do that, how to safely do that. And there is no, you know, there is no rule book at this point. There is no, you know, we're all kind of open to interpretation and ideas at this point, you yeah. know, trying to communicate with amongst one another, just to try and figure out how we can, you know, build a, a quote like new normal which is you know what the industry is talking about now absolutely so i know that you had mentioned to me that in this current crisis you are setting up something um are you talking about neva yeah by chance okay um so neva um which stands for uh, national independent venue association uh, that's not something that we started. Okay, yeah. um, we're was, active. Was... We're active members for, but it okay. is a um, it's an organization of about twelve hundred existing independent venues and promoters across the nation that are basically you know utilizing their collective efforts to uh, lobby in DC and help raise awareness and fund and general funding for independent venues and promoters because um, you know at this time most venues are shuttered and will continue to stay shuttered through uh through for the inevitable or well for the foreseeable future potentially up to uh 10 weeks in pa once we hit the yellow phase is what it is here but it's different per state uh and even still there's severe limit uh capacity limitations whenever we're all able to open so it's still gonna you know be hard to keep business there's not going to be a, a business as usual so to say until there is some sort of vaccine so uh neva is kind of just an outlet there to help uh independent venues and promoters uh as allies and uh as independents where can do you know off the top of your head like where people can find out more information about that yes yeah, so it's i think it's uh neva n-i-v-a s-o-c dot org uh is the is the website for for neva there are um for for the general public, there are opportunities where people can sign, uh, where people can write to their Congress people to let their voices be known about the independent venues that are being affected from this and how they can help. Um, and basically, you know, Neva's mission mission statement and uh, what they stand for. So, super cool. So, mm-hmm. has there been any sort of like talk between you and your coworkers, or maybe just other people that you're talking to in the scene about like? how you think things are going to be once we start phasing things back in. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, cause I mean, like I can assume definitely, you know, like maybe a limited capacity, maybe like a shorter time frame too on shows, maybe kind of like a limit to when things can be open. I think it'll be sort of interesting to see if we have like, you know, like, Oh, like this is a, you know, 50 cap show uh, <laughs> ends at 8 PM can only have yeah. two bands like that sort of thing man what a what a world if that if <laughs> if that happens uh i don't know um i mean i think venue venues and promoters are definitely talking um just on, in the sense of i mean i think the industry as a whole uh is kind of un- i mean we're all unified by this this is a, an ecosystem everything that happens because of this affects one another whether it's the venue saying shuttered uh which you know prohibits artists from playing on their stages. And, um, you know, there's a bunch of independently contracted workers that are out of work because of this. I mean, there's so many moving pieces that people don't consider when it comes to this, but, um, you know, we're all, 
I think we're all talking in that sense as far as like whenever there is an inevitable reopening, like I said, for, uh, for Pennsylvania, um, what I read from the governor's office is that once we reach the yellow phase, um, venue concert halls, basically like everything else that isn't, um, like, re- like any, any kind of retail, mm-hmm. like sporting are- like, uh, sporting arenas, concert halls, those start to, uh, go back into business 10 weeks. I think after the yellow phase is what I saw. Um, which you know, I mean, anything that sets us back, um, or any kind of potential, uh, you know, health outbreak or, or so to say could set us back, but, um, it's, it's uh, like, which is, it's just crazy. There's so many variables yeah. that go into it. it, but, it um, it's like, have you ever been at Kennywood or a theme park when it starts thundering and they can't open up the rides? If it's been, if there's like thunder strikes, they have to wait like 15 minutes without yeah. it thundering again. It's like, we're in that phase right now. Like we're just hoping yeah. the thunder no, honestly, doesn't that's hit exact, again. That's a perfect analogy. It's exactly what it feels like. I'm right just now, trying man. to get on the fucking thunderbolt. <laughs> <laughs> I want a ride, bro. I want a ride. So with one thing, I want to note that it is May 6th when we are recording this. I'm going to try yes. to upload this as soon as possible. Okay. But with the way everything's going, who knows, in the next 24 hours, things could completely change. And yeah, half yeah. the things that we're talking about can be irrelevant. So whenever yeah. this goes up, I want people to know it is May 6th at time of recording this. Then okay. the next thing I want to talk about regarding moving forward with shows, do you see the potential for a price increase on things when things open back up? Um, I don't think that I am in a position really to to know that yeah. for sure. I don't I don't think there will. I don't think there will be. Like even uh, if it's not necessarily on part of the promoters, like maybe the venues. I don't know. I guess it's hard to say, right? It's it's really hard to say. I mean, everybody's kind of going through the same financial crisis at this yeah. point. Um, and and considering that you know we have people that are still struggling to get unemployment. Um, you know, money money people are holding onto their money tight now. I think, um, and it's it's going to be hard to justify trying to you know spike prices, whether it's for venues, whether it's for patrons i i just don't see that happening with that being uh, said i'd be curious if it if we could potentially see like an ease on some prices because there's already been people that were saying that shit was too expensive before the lockdown yeah it's it's a possibility i mean i know that there are other cities that are working in tandem to work on things like uh tax relief or tax breaks on not tax breaks sorry but um like reductions on like entertain the city entertainment tax and and working on things to ease uh, for for patrons coming to shows, but um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not say. Yeah, you know, too too entirely sure right now. But, yeah, um, I, th- I think things will go back. I think things will go back to somewhat of a of a normalcy as it was before. Um, but I don't, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't foresee things, you know, really spiking in price. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I'm curious about, given the potential of you know bigger venues like a a stage AE or a Roxian getting their capacity cut like maybe even to like a quarter of what it should be the -hmm. potential for maybe artists to be doing more multiple date events or maybe like multiple shows in a night like what that could become maybe a a thing that we see temporarily yeah that's been that's been theorized and i think has been uh that's been talked about a little bit um and i think right now uh just uh just so i uh what is it it's for for pa actually i, I was just reading earlier today it's it's 20 percent capacity is oh what, wow is okay what PA, yeah so less than a quarter <laughs> uh, so which which honestly like for for any venue is just just seems completely financially unfeasible but to make it you know i mean to, worthwhile to but. be fair adam to be fair how many shows hit even 50 percent capacity <laughs> I'm not trying to be uh, funny. Yeah. I'm just saying, no, honestly, I'm... like what is the average? Like how, I mean, it sounds crazy when you go from a hundred to 20, but you think about yeah. the average shows, maybe what 50, 60% if you're lucky. Yeah. I mean, some it's, it, I think, I think, uh, 2019 was, or 2020, sorry, was shaping up to be a, a great year for the industry. Um, I mean, I think we hit like all time high records, um, or not, not all time, but, um, in like the last decade or so we were shaping up for, um, to forecast good numbers across yeah. the board everywhere. Um, and now that just completely came to a halt. Um, I mean, it's, uh, there's, there's a, it's actually funny cause I was reading again, like yesterday and this morning, um, there is a, I don't know if you saw it, there was a venue in Arkansas that's officially like decided to go up with an event. 
Um, yeah, I read about that. I wasn't sure how like true it was. It's like I have such it's, a hard. No, it's on. It, I think it's on. It's up and it's on sale, and it looks really. It's an eleven hundred cap theater in Arkansas that just cut down to about two hundred sixty six okay. capacity. They're selling. They're selling seats in sections that they remain. So they remain socially distant and six feet apart. Uh, and it's in a. But the, the difference is, is it's in a seated environment. You know, not a not a ge- general admission is a whole different mm-hmm. ballgame that we haven't even you know addressed yet, but. Um, but yeah, like that, that's an event that they already started putting up on sale and, um, you know, have issued guidelines for how they're looking to keep the venue sanitized, no more than like 10 people in the bathroom at a time. Um, just like that's the first look at a venue that's really decided to go up for it. Yeah. Aside from anybody else that's attempted to do, you know, like the drive-in concerts or, um, you know, live streaming or things like that. Just other alternatives for, for live entertainment. Yeah. In terms of you just as a consumer of music and live entertainment, have you been enjoying seeing the live streams or are you kind of burned out on everyone going live? No, I love it, man. I mean, I I want more of it. I mean, like if, if you told me a month ago that um, you know, I wouldn't be seeing shows for the next, you know, two to three months. Yeah. I'd be going to a hell of a lot more. I mean, this is great. I, I want to keep seeing more of it. Uh, I love that bands are using their time proactively to, you know, whether it's, uh, archival footage, whether it's, um, you know, just playing a couple songs here and there. I mean, my girlfriend and I went, uh, live, did a Facebook live a couple weeks ago just to, uh, you know, play some songs for, uh, like our, our university's, uh, record label and it was great i mean just like that joy of giving that you know trying mm-hmm. to give somewhat of a live experience and a, and a getaway from all the crazy has just been great so yeah far. so i want to see more of it the first week i will admit i got really burned out because it felt like there was just so much and i was like this is yeah it's too much it's just too much but i just get i have like dumb pet peeves about like really <laughs> unimportant stuff but now it's balanced out and i'm kind of stoked on it because i've seen a few bands that I know that are like, they're not bands anymore. They've done like mm-hmm. reunion shows through like mm-hmm. live stream videos. And I even got asked to play a live set via live stream. And I went like balls to the walls. I set up all my lights and did like the whole thing. And honestly, about halfway through, I forgot that I was just like rapping in front of a camera. I kind of, <laughs> as I was like, I got like so into it and lost and hadn't had that feeling in a while that I was like, you right. know, this really didn't feel all of that different. And then like, I looked at the end of the live stream and it was like, oh, there was like 50 something people in here. I was like, that's better yeah. than a lot of shows same, I play. <laughs> same way, man. I mean, like staring in front of a computer is weird, but like after a while you kind of got lost in it and you know, the adrenaline of like actually just, you know, doing playing the music is just great. Um, yeah. I mean, and I, and I think at this point too, um, I think that you'll only start to see uh, the level of production, I think, go up because like some things that people are talking about are, you know, whenever businesses go back up as, as you know, back into business, I mean, venues can open up again. Um, I do think that there's going to be the potential. Uh, one of the, the big things that honestly, I didn't, I'm so happy how, you know, big of a scope it reached, but the Code Orange release show when that yeah. happened, as much as I wanted to see that live um them being able them with the great team that they had to be able to you know convert that to an online uh stream and the quality that that presented really opened the door for other artists and i think that uh you know that could things like that could start to pave the way for um coming back into or for starting to transition back into the live entertainment world i think uh you know high level production streams Mm -hmm. being run by like a skeleton crew in in a venue um yes part of the part of the discussion that you know people are talking about is within the live streaming world it's you know as somebody that you know i love live music in person i'm i'm an old soul i suppose and but with that being said it's impossible to neglect the amount of reach that something like that code orange stream had like Mm -hmm. you know there was like what like 17k people in there when it was happening it was like a ton of people yeah i was watching it and i was like there's no fucking way that there would have been that many people in the Roxy. And there's not like, you know, obviously it's just, it's so cool to know that like, even under the worst case scenario, they were able to get that out to that many people. And yeah, it made a huge impact. People were like, mm-hmm. Whoa, like we can do this. And there's a 
fucking ton of people watching this. They have a link to their merch store there. I bought a fucking shirt. You know, it's just like it's like all of the benefits minus just like being there face to face. Yeah, you could still have. I don't want it to be a permanent replacement by any yeah. means. But and I and I think that was like the, I had the same mentality too. Like this is in no way, shape, or form. I don't think the the future of live music. I think that it's a good temp. Like I think it's a good temporary solution to keep people engaged and to give them that thirst for, you know, live entertainment. I mean, um, part, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing and a bad thing, but, um, I mean, the thing that I'm thinking about is, you know, with that demand, uh, coming back people, I think people were very hungry to want to come back to, you know, live events, but yeah, it's then how do we, you know, do it in a safe manner? When is it safe to do so? So that's, that's been the big, you know, cause people like people by nature, um, you know, you know in the moment of a live event like they want to they they don't care about their surroundings other than like what's on stage uh so trying to you know trying to figure out how to keep people how to keep that mentality but still keep people safe whenever uh you know we're able to get back into business that's you know mm-hmm. with, with the general admission mindset like that's just what we've been trying to i, was, uh, I guess figure out I was yeah, how wa- do you do that i was watching a uh baby metal live stream on mm-hmm. youtube I think it was an, an old show that they had played, but they were like just airing it as like a stay home with music thing on YouTube. And mm-hmm. the way that they had the seating in the venue really made me think about the potential for how seating could be moving forward. Just because everything, the way everything was blocked off, I think they had it blocked off the way that they did because they were filming. So they had, you know, spaces cutouts for cameras to kind of go through in specific rounds but just like when they had a shot like an aerial shot where you could see the whole stadium and the stage and the way all the seats were laid out it made sense they were just like these little chunks like blocks of people and everybody was kind of spaced out the show i believe it was in japan and i think they've already been kind of a lot more mindful about the way Mm -hmm. that they group people together in japanese live events anyways i think they've been doing that for a long time with the way they handle the seating was that was it with the field the field where the seating was was that do you know if that was originally supposed to be for like a standing room only and they converted it into a, a like a seated atmosphere i guess or a seated configuration well, it was it was it was definitely converted specially because okay. like they had like a special stage like you know some circular stage in the middle of the arena that fucking rotates 360 degrees and they had like the seats placed around it on the floor plus all of the other seats in the stadium but the way the floor seating was it was just like in these very specific grids and all the grids were spaced out like a lot further apart like it just felt like you they could fit a lot more people on that floor if they wanted to but then i was like oh well probably because they're filming this they have a lot of space open for the cameras and crew to get through and then also there's japan so they i think they're already kind of like a lot more distant with uh having the space and the people, I mean, they've been doing the, the face mask for sickness thing forever. You know, if somebody's yeah. sick, they just wear a face mask. It's a normal thing over there. Yeah. And that's, and that, I mean, that begs the question. I mean, again, like there have not, there are no guidelines to this point. I mean, I think inevitably like what a lot of people are waiting for is guidance from the state. Uh, it's probably going to come from the state as far as, you know, what guidance is going to be for, venues and is the new like i i don't know how it's going to happen i don't see it happening but like people wearing uh face masks to venues uh you know how do you enforce that i mean people buy alcohol at the bar you know they have to drink it yeah that that was a thing that i was curious about is like what alcohol that the bar is going to be like in terms of like what it is getting served in and uh like how people are handling like exchanges of money and things like that are you going to see like Mm -hmm. a no cash sort of thing come into play that's another discussion too. I think yeah. a lot of venues are starting, like I, I think a lot of venues were starting to transition into uh, like touchless POS systems uh, already. Um, I think, I think this is going to be a catalyst to, you know, push that forward. Cause I don't, uh, you know, discussion. And, and I kind of agree is that, you know, cash are, is going to be a thing of the past potentially. Yeah. Um, as, at least until there's some sort of vaccine, like transfer of cash just doesn't seem, you know, like a safe procedure at this yeah. point. So, you know, touchless POS systems. Um, the, I saw that, I don't know specifically for the bar, but um, I think the the show I mentioned in Arkansas, like they're doing uh, like pre-filled containers, I think, so that people can just kind of grab and go. Hmm. Um, I don't know how the, how the POS is going to work, but um, 
yeah, the part the bars are, are totally different, you know, part of the mm-hmm. industry that, you know, we're still trying to figure out. I think in general, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw uh, society moving forward with a lot of like virtual wallets, kind of like a QR code, mm-hmm. sort of like ATM card thing, kind of mm-hmm. how uh, a lot of ticketing companies have been doing now. Why couldn't they do something similar for mobile banking? I'm pretty sure some mobile banking probably already does things like that. I think so. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's like Apple Wallet. Like I I use my uh, yeah 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 not Apple Wallet, but like I I you know touch as I go or whatever, just to try and avoid uh, you know using cash at this point. Yeah. Um, for the bar, going back to the bar though, I mean, like honestly, one of the best. I mean, for me personally, one of the best experiences I ever had. Um, I went to this place called the Anthem in Washington D.C. Um, it's like a, a newer like five thousand cap club there. Um, and they had a uh, cashless tab system. Essentially, it was this company called uh, Ruam, and what you did was you uh, logged into the app. You found the lo- you checked into the location that you were at that had the bar that had uh, it was activated on the app, and it would start you a virtual tab. And basically, what you would do is you would go up to the bar, um, at tell the bartender what you want. They up you show them the num they assign you a number for your tab. You show the bartender what number your tab is. And they assign that drink to your tab, and essentially you can just check out on your phone. That's super so, cool. Which was really cool. I mean, it, it a um, you know decreased lines for bars. Um, you know, I didn't have to wait, and and I didn't have to wait more than uh, you know probably three minutes for a drink, which I got on mine regardless. But it was just like such a seamless process. So it was easy to get a drink, and then uh, checking out. Um, if for some reason like you forget to check out, it automatically cashes you out at the end of the night. So you already you it automatically you know pays that tab at yeah. the end of the night with the option to tip. So I remember, uh, man, I guess it was probably it was a while ago. It may have been almost seven years ago. The last time Paramore played here, they played out at KeyBank, mm-hmm. and they had uh, a mobile app with their merch on it where you could like look at the merch, order your merch, get a number, and then just walk up to any of the merch booths with your number and get pick up your merch. I so wonder. You, I wonder if that's going to start getting adapted here yeah. like soon too. With that, so like, yeah, I mean, like would, there, every every aspect of the live entertainment experience is probably going to change from you know going to the bathroom to going to the bar to buying merch to you know at least until we have some sort of you know new normal. I don't. I don't know. Like it's but that. But that is you know. Yeah. I, I wasn't aware of that, but that I mean, it's I mean that was a long time like ago. That. Like I thought that was like I mean. That's crazy to think about That's, how long ago that was. But I was like, this is this makes sense because you see all yeah. these huge lines of people trying to like, you know, squint with their eyes to see what they have. But it's like you could just look on your phone in between bands, order the stuff and then pick it up on your way out. Yeah. I mean, like seven years ago, like, yeah, that's <laughs> freaking cool, man. Yeah. I, I mean, that's still cool. To, I think that's still cool today. It just makes it so much. I mean, it a, makes it easier for the consumer and, you know. B just makes it, you know, nice and organized for the band. That's definitely so. some big operation shit. I feel like you mm-hmm. got to have a lot of inventory to manage that. I don't think anybody's going to be doing that at the Smiling Moose or anything, but uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. something to consider for sure. I yeah. the um I don't know if you're familiar with the Pear and the Pickle, the cafe yeah. that's up by Dude, my house. Dude, I love I love the Pear and the Pickle. I just took uh, my girlfriend Hannah there for the first time before, uh, like right before quarantine. Dude, it's so good. It's like that breakfast sandwich is unreal. Yeah, that place rules. I I love it to death. It's right down the street from my house, and yeah. they just opened back up today for takeout only. Good to know. So I, I I went down. I I called ahead, put in my order, and then I went down. And they have the whole entire inside of the place reconfigured. They have um, mm-hmm. the register with like a big plexiglass thing, and you you know you handle your own payment. And then they have your order ready to pick up on the other side. Like there's like one door specifically for the entrance and another specifically for the exit. So it's like keeps mm-hmm. everybody uh, flowing through and they have everything marked off with like your uh, your social distancing spots. And like I was like, this is a little weird, but also it doesn't feel that much different. No, like, it, it doesn't. It I think restaurants have been doing a great job adapting yeah. to it. Uh, and if anything, um, I mean, like it's been great. I think I think it's been great for. Uh, this whole thing, this whole, you know, takeout business, I, I would like to imagine has been good for them. I mean, I talked to the Smiling Moose the other day and, you know, they're slammed with orders because people are just looking to take out. And they're, I mean, they're honestly like for me, one of my favorite spots to eat in Southside. Yeah. Uh, that, and, and yeah, you know, I feel like nobody really knows that they serve food sometimes. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. You know, they've been, so, I mean, 
restaurants have been doing a great job at, at adapting and adjusting to the change. I think yeah, yeah. I haven't had, I haven't had a bad experience and, you know, to that point also, you know, if people are looking to, uh, order from the restaurant, you know, order directly from, um, cause I've been like reading the, the, uh, like the Grubhub takes and everything from that. I've been trying to like call in directly to directly uh, to restaurants and trying to pick up. Are you talking about like the, the Yelp Grubhub thing? Yeah, like I, I read a report how like Grubhub takes like forty percent of like forty to forty five percent of sales or something like that. Yeah, from like an actual order. So if you can just like order from the restaurant themselves. Yeah. Did you did you hear like how they're doing that? No. So the way that it's working, it's it's because uh, Yelp owns Grubhub or vice versa. The they're the same company gotcha. now, and if you go on to uh, Yelp, for example, to get the phone number for a restaurant to call, there will be a thing that says like, you know, place an order or ask a question. And there are two buttons, right? And they're connected Mm -hmm. to two different phone numbers. The ask a general question is connected to the actual restaurants, like the actual restaurant's phone number. That place an order is connected to a phone number that Grubhub owns. And all that phone number does is redirect to the restaurant's phone. So they're using that redirect as their like ordering this fee. Is, right. Like this is us doing this is us doing our service for the restaurant. But like so like it's like okay, that's kind of shady, but I guess I also understand from Grubhub's perspective if a restaurant is utilizing your service, you want to charge yeah. some sort of a commission, but that seems like kind of a shady way to do it. Yeah. If you're able to go to the re- if you're able and willing to go to the restaurant just yeah. buy from the restaurant, it just, you know, supports them quicker and easier so in the quarantine adam Mm -hmm. you know aside from eating out have you done any sort of home cooking are you brushing up your chops are you much of a Uh, chef chef dude i love i love i love cooking man um i i think lately i've just been a little lazy at times where takeout's the the easy alternative yeah um and also that it has kind of given me a chance to like try places that I haven't yet. I still have like a couple places on my list that I want to try, but um, cause also I think restaurants are be, are like becoming very uh, creative with what they're doing. Like uh, all the pizza places that are doing like their take home, like their take home kits. Yeah. It's super cool. So th- which I think is, is awesome. That's a, that's really, uh, really genius in my opinion. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I love to cook when I can. Um, you name it, I'll make it. <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been cooking a lot of tofu. I like to cook a lot of tofu. Okay, uh, which has been, which has been fun to kind of experiment with. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a good thing to learn because it's fucking hard to work with at first. But once you once yeah. you figure it out, you can make some pretty cool stuff with it. Yeah, man. All you do, I mean, what I, what I love to do is because um, it's weird. Like the first time, like I hadn't had tofu up until like a couple of years ago, and I went to Mad Max. And had their like pencil tucky fried tofu, yep. which was like the best thing that I've ever had. <laughs> I love it. And I've been trying yeah. to like find a way to recreate that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so I've just been, you know, you like I just fried tofu and, uh, you know, put it in different things. I've been making like uh, like spring roll or summer rolls and stuff with like rice paper wraps and been Hell yeah. trying to trying to experiment around. You doing anything else in your time off? Any other hobbies or? Anything I just tried in- to make wine for the first time yesterday. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I uh, my girlfriend and I just celebrated our fourth anniversary, and I just got a um, like a make like make your own wine kit, uh, and we tra- we started making our own wine. So. Oh yeah, how long is that <laughs> supposed to take? Uh, about like a month or so. Okay. Uh, we just like we just uh, yeah. added the yeast in yesterday, and it's fermenting now for about two weeks. We're doing like a Chardonnay and try that out, see how it goes. Um, <laughs> but no, I've just been like kind of usual, like binge, like trying to binge shows. But I've been really trying to stay uh, like physically, as, as physically and mentally active as I can. I mean, like we try to go out and walk every day if we can. Yeah. And, um, get some sort of physical uh, normalcy going and some sort of routine going just to, you know, so we don't go crazy. Sure. But yeah, I'm trying. What to about you, man? What about you, man? What have you been doing? What have you been up to? Whew. Uh, same old, same old, just podcasting, working on three albums. Well, actually two, because Grey Walker kind of got put to a 110% halt as a result of all of this. Yeah. But, uh, 
working on the new Sykes and New Violence album, and I have another project that I've been working on. So I'm working on that stuff and cooking at the house and still like, you know, doing some work related things from home and just trying to stay on top of everything because I don't want to be put in a position once we get back to normal. And it's like, I don't feel like it. I'm so worried that there's going to be a large demographic of people that even when things are back to normal, they're going to be kind of comfy in the nothing. Yeah. You know, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like I try not to think of like, this as a vacation because it's not, I mean, like from a business perspective, we're fighting to stay open, you know? So every day is, you know, every day is a, is a, is a mental activity just to try and stay out, stay out of that. Like, well, I could, well, I could just do nothing and, you know, play Fortnite all day and, you know, eat Cheetos and watch Netflix all day. You know, I try, I, you know, that, that can't be the mentality, you know, for me at least, cause I feel like I'm just always mentally active, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I know I keep seeing like some, not a lot, but I've seen some shows being announced for like September and maybe a couple yeah. in August. Do you think that that is realistic? Um, I mean, again, we're just, we're really just trying to take it day by day. There's really no, uh, you know, set schedule, so to say. Um, I mean, what we've been doing is like inevitably, like if it becomes an impacted event, we always want to try and reschedule it. Um, I mean, a lot of agents want to try and, uh, you know, push it up as a test to see how it does. And, um, you know, some come to a complete halt, some, uh, if we push them down, like if we have them further down the road, you know, they've, they've been selling, some have been selling, some have not, but, um, you know, there's really no guideline for it again at yeah. this point. Like we're kind of just taking it day by day. And if we have to reschedule it, you know, we'll address that yeah. at that time. But, yeah. um, I just, we, I, I have this feeling that I think September is realistic. And I have this feeling that once things kind of get rolling and back on a normal track, it's going to feel a lot normal. It's going to feel normal quicker than I think people are expecting. That's my prediction. Yeah. So I think we're already kind of getting used to all of these changes slowly. Yeah. And I, and I think, and I think, I mean, that's the the way that it's going to have to happen is it's going to have to be a gradual process to roll back into some sort of normalcy. I mean, again, like, when we get back into shows, there's going to be a quote unquote new normal, but we don't know what that is just yet. Um, and, and until realistically, I, I think until there's some sort of, um, you know, mass produced vaccine that uh, people are able to get their hands on. I mean, I don't think we're going to really see uh, uh, an old normal, so to say, but yeah. I think we'll be able to adjust to a new normal over gradually over time. Mm hmm. Cause I think people are, people are still, at least in the live entertainment scope, like people I think are hungry to go back to shows. Yeah. It, it's interesting. You know, the live entertainment was the first thing to go and it's going to be like one of the last things to return. Yeah. It, it's, it's really, really, it's, and it's kind of annoying to think about just from the, it's like, okay, I, I understand how silly this sounds. So I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. But I feel like if I could be in Giant Eagle with a couple hundred people, I should be able to be in a venue with like 20. But I get it. I get it. The venue is yeah. not essential. Like I totally get it. But it's yeah. funny. Because you go to the grocery store and it's like packed. Even if they have like their limits on the people that can go in there. It's like I'm in a fucking aisle with like 15 other people all looking at rice. Yeah. And it's like, what is the difference? Yeah. And I and I thought that too. Uh, and, and again, there's just so many factors that, I mean, the, the types of, bif- dip, the types of businesses, sorry, are just so different in, yeah. in their nature. I mean, like, you know, shows, people are, are touching one another, they're sweating, they're dancing, they're moshing, they're doing whatever they're mm-hmm. drinking. Uh, there's just so much contact in that world. I feel like, I mean, I think there's a lot of contact in, in, uh, in, in other businesses, but like in the entertainment business specifically, oh, I mean, sure. there's a lot of contact when it comes to, you know, loading the bands in the, to the, uh, exchange of tickets to exchange of alcohol. You know, there's just so much contact mm-hmm. in that world. A, so. thing that, a thing that realistically sucks, though, is because a lot of the people that are going to be making the decisions about when these things can reopen are people that don't go to these events or exactly. maybe have an un- misunderstanding of what it is. Because like you think of a show and you tell people about a rock and roll show 
Mm-hmm. Most people that don't go to rock and roll shows think that it's like fucking Motley Crue 1982, like balls to the walls packed. But no, it's really not. Or a lot of people think that like every venue is like a nightclub. And sure, nightclubs are nightclubs. But I feel like there is a bit of a difference because like you take a oh. place like foxtail on a weekend night where like yeah there's definitely some physical things going on there yeah but like i've never touched a motherfucker at the smiling moose in my <laughs> life you know it's, yeah but like that that difference isn't going people are the nuance isn't gonna fucking matter anymore and everything's yeah. gonna be judged regardless if it's a a show at the roxy and with a couple thousand people versus a show at club cafe with 20 like it's they're gonna be held to the same standard and it's like yeah really really i get it but it sucks and yeah that's i mean the the people that are that are inevitably going to be and that's why it's important that um you know we have organizations like Viva that are lobbying to congress that are you know are encouraging us to reach out to our local congress people and having our audiences do the same to try and help save the venue the discrepancy uh within the live entertainment industry is just you know uh that um you know, shows are, it's seemingly like, you know, larger, like 2,500 to 5,000 cap plus events that, that, you know, happen potentially seasonally. I, I feel like the, uh, I think locally people have a general, have a good understanding within our city council. Um, but the people that are inevitably going to be making, you know, guidelines for us are ones that, you know, need to know the difference between a club and a theater and, you know, what you know they a lot of them need like a an industry 101 as far as you know <laughs> yeah. who does what what this is what a town buyer is this is what a promoter is this is what the club owner does um this is what the production manager does you know mm-hmm. all different sorts of facets of the industry that you know uh i know a lot of their local governments are you know starting to get crash courses on how you know how the industry works because again like it's you know there sometimes there are preconceived notions that you know we all are essentially the same but you know we all operate differently very differently totally so with all that being said i want to wrap this thing up we hit an hour i think that's plenty good plenty useful information and uh it was good talking with you man it seems like you're healthy and well i i appreciate you making time likewise man i mean uh i i really hope you're doing well i want everybody to stay safe and you know We'll get back to music. Music will always be there when we get back. It's just we got to be patient. So totally. I I couldn't agree more. And I'm going to do an outro and then I'm going to let you go. And that is all, folks. Thanks so much for listening. One more time. Adam Valen. Thanks for being here. I'll be back again in a couple days with another episode. Same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the beat. 2020. Woo. Woo. Thanks for listening. And we're done. Peace, my dude. Peace, dude. Good talking to you. Good talking to you, too. I'm just going to end the meeting, and we're gone. Goodbye.